Good to see you all. How y'all doing? Yeah, all right. Let me just turn the house lights up a little bit more so I can just see everyone's lovely faces. I just like to be able to see you <laughs> as you see me. Because whenever we speak, it's very personal, isn't it? It's not just about, um, you know, obviously whoever's speaking has, has been praying. But actually the reality is God's speaking to you through worship, through the word, through your everyday lives, through knowing that God is with you always. Church, God is with you always. What an incredible, incredible God we serve. So I bring greetings. Sounds posh, doesn't it? Bring greetings from Bridge Horwich. So thank you very much for those of you that have asked where I've been. No, I've not been on holiday for the last two months. And no, I've uh, not been falling down a ditch somewhere. Um, so it's great to know that we have that. In fact, it was quite funny because as we were chatting about this and, and John will be back over in Bolton more and I'll be over in Horwich more. And um, you know what incredible church family that we have. I'm just... So blessed, so blessed. And um, someone said, you and John, it's like um, Clark Kent and Superman. You're never in the same room at the same time. <laughs> and then I just laughed at the thought of that superhero <laughs> picture. Because anyone that knows us knows you can't get further from the truth of being like a superhero. And uh, I was just like, it just really tickled me. that. Um, but actually the reality that in all our wonderful brokenness and normality, that God treats each one of us like royalty. That, you know, wherever he goes, wherever he sends us, whatever we do on each daily path, that, wow, the power of Christ is what we stand on. And, um, but actually, I was thinking it's a little bit more. Now, this will be showing me age, but does anyone remember a cartoon that was called Mr. Ben? Ah, you see, that's good. Not just all your gawas in here today. But Mr. Ben was a guy who lived on a very normal street. And they always emphasised the fact that he lived on a very normal street. And he always had a bowler hat on his head. And then he used to wander off and he used to go into these different adventures when he changed his hat. So he would be like a cook one day. I would be an explorer or he'd be a prince, or he'd be a warrior, and he just kept changing his hat. <laughs> and life can sometimes feel like that, can't it? What hat do we need for this day? What hat do we need for this next five minutes? What hat do we need for going into the week ahead? And how amazing is it that actually one of the things I loved about Mr. Ben, he always used to say, what adventure awaits me today? And I love that hat of not being fearful of whatever hats we have to wear that day. But wow, what adventure awaits me today. So, you know, in all our wonderful jumbledness of which hats we have on, we're going to carry on looking at our In the Beginning series. And I just absolutely love that we just sang in Christ alone. It's, it's just one of those stalwart hymns where you just feel that sense of that, it all making sense, don't you, as we just stand and sing together. And it just brings this beautiful link, actually, funnily enough, with where we were going in the beginning. So right back in Genesis, so we've been following this through, but actually I just want us to call back again to Genesis 1, 26. 
because we've just been singing there, haven't we, about the incredible fact that there's no guilt in life, there's no fear in death. What an incredible sum up of our gospel. That we've just been singing that in the fullness of God, he was there as a helpless babe. Fullness of God and helpless babe. It doesn't go, does it? It doesn't, in the naturalness and the normalness in our understanding, it doesn't make sense. So I just want us to look again at Genesis 1:26, And this is something that actually, so apologies for those of you that were here on Monday, but I really felt I wanted to revisit this from a Bible study that we were doing on Monday night. And in Genesis 1:26, it says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image. Let us make mankind in our own image. So right at the beginning, we see this beautiful mystery of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. What an incredible mystery that we have to get our heads around. But actually... The reality is that one God that we serve, it just is that beautiful um, realization that so many things are beyond our recollection and beyond our understanding. So one of the ways that has really helped me, and I love the fact that it says, let us make mankind it wasn't just men, it wasn't man, it was actually the translation was mankind, all humanity. So no matter what our gender is, no matter what our physical ability is, our, our mental ability is, no matter what race we are or what nationality we came from, that actually there is that start, let us make mankind in our own image. This beautiful mystery that when we look around, how can we all be made in God's image is beautifully entwined with this Trinitarian God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, and yet saying, I will make you in my image. So we can embrace all our differences, all our wonderful quirkiness, to be able to know that you are made in God's image. You know, there's this beautiful Greek word called perichoresis that talks about, peri talks about the circle, the eternal circle. And very often we think of the Trinity more like a triangle, don't we, with three points. But actually the instruction of this word made it think of that continuation, that fluidity of a Father, Son and Holy Spirit as one God, more in that circle of being able to be in all eternity. And the choresis is that movement, that dance around those three that we have this one God, this incredible mystery, three persons in one God, and yet that perfect unity that says, you are made in my image. And I know sometimes we struggle with that. We think, well, how can, how can I be made in God's image? But the beauty of what I'm just hoping by the end of this morning, each one of us will get is that the image of God is in you, that you are in the image of God. What an incredible, beautiful picture that God takes us with all our faults and failings and says, I see you, I know you, you are beautiful. It is sometimes struggles in my head, but actually it resonates in my heart to know how much God just loves and appreciates me. So I just want to take, carry on, for we are reading from Genesis 2, 25. 
And this is actually leaving where we left off last week. So it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And this, I just stopped all the time coming to this. When you're walking with God, just that picture of the Garden of Eden at the very beginning, man and woman walking in inequality, in complete perfection with God, in the garden, walking with God. And there was no shame. Do you know one thing I've found that you don't have to have been alive very long to realize that actually shame can be a killer. When there are things that you don't want people to know or things that become hidden or our flaws or our failings or our weaknesses or our brokenness that we become shamed about. It's never healthy because it's that as if, gosh, there's barriers and there's hiddenness and there's secrecy. And yet here is this beautiful impression of walking with God and there is no shame. Church, you need to know there's no shame when you are walking with God. There is no shame in the fact that he is here with us, walking in it. He sees, there's no surprises. He knows exactly where you've been and exactly where you're going. But there is no shame. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat? from any, any tree in the garden. <laughs> I'm not going to stop at every verse, but this one, I just thought again. Did God really say? Right at the beginning, did God really say? And there's that wrestle, isn't there, of different questions. Did God really say that? And, you know, when I was particularly early in my faith, I used to feel really guilty about having questions or wrestling with doubts or wondering what things meant and I used to think I had to have it all sorted and I had to have every question understood and if someone that particularly wasn't a Christian wanted to ask me something I felt that pressure that I had to know the answer <laughs> had to know but actually the more I've studied and a lot of you know I'm doing a lot more studying these days with my masters and things the more that I am coming to understand I know nothing <laughs> The more books that I read, the more things that I delve into, the more I realize I know nothing. But actually in it, there's that beauty of a wrestle with the questions. There's that beauty of understanding and learning from each other's what, what's called embedded theology. It's being able to understand people's traditions and experiences and beliefs and worldviews and where we've come from, that God puts us together to be able to listen and understand in that beautiful, respectful, compassionate way to be able to see into each other's situations and discuss questions that can get really complicated. Did God really say? I'm not saying any of us will end up with any answers <laughs> because very often some of the questions that we have we go round and round in circles on, don't we? But what I have found is that the more I am seeing, the more I am delving, and understanding that there is less I know. It's a bit like in science, isn't it? You sort of see all those stars flung into space, and then you go, wow, actually, there's 
galaxies and there's universes and there's all this stuff that goes on and beyond. But what it does make me realize is that I stand in awe and wonder at God. I can stand there and just go, wow. How can my tiny human brain understand this incredible God that throws stars into space, makes galaxies, universe, even how the human eye works fascinates me, how our bodies work, how all the things that come together and you just go, wow. But I thank God that he puts us in church families to stand and support each other so that when doubts come or fears come or things that we don't understand, even if we don't have the answers, we can stand together and say, but we know how this story ends. We know how this story ends. We know the gospel story of how Jesus knew us before we were even born, before we were even formed in our mother's womb, God knew us. He knew all about us. He knows when we sit, when we rise, when we come and we go, he knows every hair on our head. So there's no surprises in him. There's no question that we can have. The, the difficulty is when this little snaky little one tries to say, did God really say to separate you from the love of God? Because everything that God has done from beginning to end in this beautiful story that is written down in the Bible for us is to make sure that we can walk with God in union with him. So let us just embrace and thank God for all that he has given us as we continue to just look at his word. The word said to the snake, we may eat fruit from the garden, from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, said the snake. Well, actually, I think that's a bit of a lie because we kind of know that that, <laughs> that does happen and death did come and we do eventually die in this life. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of them both were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees and the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid, so I hid. Where are you? Where are you? There's, there's, there's no surprises in God. He didn't, it's not like he didn't know where they were. Of course he knew where they were. But the question that God prompts to each one of us is, where are you? Do you know, his call out, even then, even immediately after this had happened, saying, where are you? You know, where are you? I want to be with you. I long to be in communion with you. I long to be walking with you in the garden, in the cool of the day. Sounds really nice. <laughs> Sounds so nice. You know, but the thing that always breaks my heart about this is that then, for the first time, 
that separation between God and man that he hid because he was afraid. God always had that heart of being in communion with us, of being in fellowship with us. And how heartbreaking that his beautiful creation of man would be then afraid to be with him. Do you know, God gives us these incredible whole story as we just go on to see in the rest of the chapter that I think we'll be, we'll be going into next week. But then this blame game starts. Whose responsibility is it? And man, the man even said, well, God, it was the woman you put here <laughs> that gave it me. <laughs> Ultimately, it's your fault. Blame God. Ultimately, she gave it me. Blame her. Ultimately, the snake gave it me, blame him. And this blame game, and straight away, rather than this beautiful union of equality and partnership and walking together in this complementary state of being able to be different and the same, unique and yet completely as one. And yet here, self comes in. And we see that blame game, that power struggle how, how hard is it then to have to constantly try and elevate ourselves or fight for ourselves? Or, because actually, the beginning was all about this beautiful unity with God and equality amongst each other. And I think sometimes in our conversations, we can catch ourselves doing that at work. Whose fault was that? Well, I don't know. It was probably them. They've done that. Oh, we're off timing today. Was that? Well, she spoke too long. You know. And, you know, it's that thing of you've got to justify for yourself. But God was always in this beautiful plan. We see in um, verse 20 that actually Adam named woman Eve. And this means living because she would become the mother of all the living. Wow. And I love the circle that then we see right throughout the gospel. We haven't got, we haven't got time to uh, do it today, so it's a whistle-stop tour where we're literally just going to point out that in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about how Eve was made from Adam, called the first man. But then it also says about how Christ, which they called the last Adam, actually then was born from woman as Mary gave birth to Christ, to be fully human and fully God at the same time. So we have, again, that beautiful story coming full circle of woman from Adam and then Christ from woman. That incredible picture of that circle that God works through us and in us with all our faults and imperfections and yet sees the beauty of that incredible gift and unity that each one of us brings. We have been born of the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. That's in 1 Corinthians 49, verse 49 rather. That beautiful image that we're made in the image of man as well, but that reminder that right at the beginning in Genesis, where God is saying, we will make mankind in our own image. 
that actually here again we are reminded that we are made in the image of the heavenly man. You are made in that image of wherever you go, that you are carrying that image of Christ, that you are carrying that image of how God loves the world, that you are carrying that image of being able to show what the plan is that God knew from walking in the garden at the very beginning, that fellowship and that beauty and that unity of walking with God. And then right through to Revelation, at the end of Revelation, the very end of the Bible, where it says that the Lord, look at the Lord's dwelling place. He is now among the people. So as Christ restored that balance, there is no more separation and we see that God comes again to dwell with his people. It talks about Eden being restored at the very end in Revelation. So we start off with the Garden of Eden and God walking with people. And at the very end, we see again the Garden of Eden restored and God walking with people and dwelling with his people and being with them. And the very reason that we can understand and celebrate and live that now is the fact that as Christ died, I love that powerful image where there was that big temple curtain, the veil that always separated the holy of holies, always separated God in the temple from the mere mortals that were serving. They could never go in that. And as Christ died, that, that curtain was ripped open so that there was access to God himself as Christ died on our behalf, that there was no separation again. And as the band come back up, we're going to really just worship God again now because the reality is, church, that if we don't get this, that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ, then our faith is nothing more than a tradition that we come to on a Sunday and we sit and we're together. But when we grasp that the image of Christ is in us, with all our faults and failings and all our brokenness, there is no shame because of all that he has done for us. Not of anything that is our own worth, but the fact that Christ himself has torn that veil, has broke that curtain, has meant that the holy of holies wants to walk and commune with us in our daily life. Restored again. Restored again. So we're going to just sing now. We're going to sing Graves into Gardens. In fact, let's stand. And I just want to highlight some of the words in this. That as we come to just praise and as we raise our voices, let's think about what we're singing and think about them as those prayerful words to God. We're going to sing that I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, God. We're going to sing that my failures... And my flaws, you've seen them all. There's no surprises. He has seen them all. We are going to sing now that you are the God of the mountain and you are the God of the valley. And there's no place, no place that your mercy and grace doesn't find me. So if you are there now where God is saying, where are you? Where are you? No, there is no place that his mercy and grace isn't going to find you. 
no place because he turns our mourning into dancing, because he gives beauty instead of ashes, because he turns our shame into glory and he's the only one that can. It's nothing to do with us, about us, how clever we are, how much together we've got it, how everything's working out well, whatever hat we've got on, whatever, whatever hat we're going to be wearing the rest of the day even. God turns what was dead graves into gardens of living life. He restores, restores. So those dead bones that we, that we sing about in other songs that God raises into armies, that's us. Those dead bones. When he sees that absolutely blocks it and people thought there was no way, there is no way out of this situation. There is no way in these questions I'm wrestling with and these doubts and these worries and understanding how it all fits together. And yet God parted that sea and said, I'll make a way. There's always a way because ultimately that veil is torn for us. And God, we just thank you, Father, for each person that is here. God, I thank you, Father, that, Lord, we have been singing that, God, in Christ alone, it's your power that we stand in. God, we thank you, Father, that, God, you turn all of our shame into glory, all of our mourning into dancing. That, God, I thank you, Father, that, God, you turn those dead bones into armies for you for you because we are made in your image, in your likeness in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.